Welcome to the Book Brilliant Podcast. Today we have on author Clay Martin. Clay has an interesting background, first joining the military uh, in the Marines, and then he switched over to the U.S. Army Special Forces, also known as the Green Berets. Uh, Clay has four books out right now, two of which are fiction, and then two of which are guidebooks for uh, worst-case scenarios, I would say. Uh, Clay was interesting because he, you know he's a friend of the podcast, and a lot of the times when you um, have some on who you've read their books and you're familiar with them and, you, and you've kind of studied them a little bit in preparation, uh, when you ask them a question, a lot of the times you kind of know what they're going to say. Um, you, you have an idea of what the answer is going to be. And Clay, throughout the, the interview, continued to surprise me <laughs> with, uh, with his answers or in some situations, um, you know, lack of answers, which I kind of feel bad about because don't mean to put the guy on the spot or do anything that's going to, you know, uh, jeopardize his standing with the U.S. government. So hopefully I uh, didn't put too much pressure on him there. But um, it was an extremely interesting interview. Um, it's not uh, an interview that is uh, light, I would say, um, because we're talking about, um, again, worst case scenarios. Um, this is not, in my opinion, coming from two people who are conspiracy theorists, weirdos, or anything like that this is coming from two people whose heart is set on protecting uh, their community and their family and the people around them if things go bad um, civil unrest is is a huge portion of this but even if we're talking about um, environmental um, disasters um, which can happen anywhere at any time um, as we talk about um, these books are uh, good to are good resources uh, so I hope that you check out his books and I hope you enjoy this interview let's get to it all right well I've got Clay Martin here today Clay thank you for coming on and the reason why you're here today is is uh because of a mutual connection, which people probably would not have expected, but uh, Tucker Max, the author of I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell and Assholes Finish First and a few other bestsellers, um, he started talking about Doomer Optimism. And um, in some of his interviews, I heard him mention this book, Prairie Fire. Um, and so I had looked you up and, and um, I actually reached out to Tucker to ask him if, if um, he wanted to be on the show. And he said, uh, no, um, I'm not the guy to talk to. You should talk to Clay Martin. So I reached out to you and I figured you guys were friends or something. But um, before before we had all kind of, I guess, connected, you you never knew that he was throwing your book out there. I had absolutely no idea. Man. It, was, uh, it, was, it was really weird. As uh, You got a hold of me on Facebook. But uh, when you said Tucker Max recommended your book, like, I really thought because of where you live that you meant this uh, operator that could be nicknamed Tucker Max <laughs> from that same area. Uh, I don't know, like the Tucker Max. So that was really weird too. I started like a weird chain of events where uh, I didn't even know he was following me on Twitter. I, my, my old account got nuked uh, last January 7th. And uh, I kind of started doing the suburbs in very kind of quiet, uh, you know, not like it was before. And uh, sure, I go, I go check, and uh, yeah, he's on there. So we, we linked up on Twitter, and uh, it started talking and stuff. But uh, yeah, it was a really weird. I had no idea. Like, <laughs> yeah, I thought that that I thought that that was hilarious. You, you know, um, him and I have had like brief interactions. I when I reached out to him, I'm like, I don't expect you to remember me, but uh, 
I definitely thought that that was, was kind of a funny thing. So, you know, um, Clay, your book, uh, in, in the book that I'm talking specifically about Prairie Fire, and all of your books will be linked on our website, but with Prairie Fire, you know, the guidebook for surviving uh, Civil War II, for a lot of people, that sounds like a pretty extreme title. And I'll say this, and um, I think that you're kind of along here with me. I don't know if you'll agree with everything I say here, but for me personally, I'm not a conspiracy guy. Um, when I was in high school, I got exposed to all the conspiracy theories, and I believed all of them all at once, you know, and my friend and I thought like Red Dawn was coming and we're like, dude, you, we got to get bug out bags. We got to save up. We got to get supplies. So I kind of went through that phase and I'm at the point now where it's like, since I was in elementary school, you know, I believe like John F. Kennedy was, you know, killed by some mafia or whatever. I actually believe that, that, um, that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. So I'm, I'm like way, not really a guy, but a, a conspiracy guy, but I do love conspiracy theories and I love listening to them. I just don't let myself get too wrapped up. But I, I think that with what we're talking about here, I don't think that you have to be a conspiracy theorist to number one, realize something's not quite right with society. And number two, to be prepared for an emergency situation is something that the federal government tells us we should be doing anyway. I think the federal government says you should have 30 days of, of at least 30 days of food at home, right? So um, when you really break down the fundamentals of your book, that's kind of what it is. So I was going to put that out there. Um, and you're not a crazy guy either. You've got a great reputation. Um, I understand why as I've kind of gotten to, to know you a little bit more. So could you could you actually explain a little bit of your military background? I always I mess up military terms all the time. I say people are special operations when they're not. And I just I mix everything up. So could you kind of give us a, a brief background for you? I yeah, sure. It's uh, and uh, yeah, that's a weird thing about this day and age that we live in too. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, this is like the worst time in the world to try to, to uh, fake a military background because like you'll be found <laughs> out like very quickly. Although, yeah. I mean, we've seen some weird stuff though. Like some like wrote entire books or like trained in the firearm space for like five, ten years before they got busted. So yeah, it's, it's bizarre. But uh, for myself, I, I did lead kind of a weird uh, career path. I was uh, I started the Marine Corps as an infantryman. Uh, I became a reconnaissance Marine, which prior to the whole complicated story about the Goldwater Nichols Act in 1986. But uh, prior to the advent of MARSOC was the Marine Corps Special Operations. Uh, because we had to have our own sniper section, I, I got to go to, you know, Scout Sniper School too, so I was one of those. Uh, and then I cross-decked uh, around 2003 over to the Army to, uh, to Special Forces there. And that's actually not as weird of a career path as, as people would think. When I first kind of got in the public eye, like a lot of people that weren't didn't have military background would look at that like, whoa, 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 timeout. Like <laughs> yeah. one, can't be all the things. One, <laughs> number two, like Marines don't leave the Marine. Well, yes, they do actually. A, a lot of us left uh, around that same time. Uh, in fact, that was a big piece of what forced uh, the, the Marine Corps to go ahead and like give its consent to uh, to put an element under SOCOM. Was uh, they, they got devastated after two thousand and three. Uh, there was a massive exodus. Good God, it was, I mean, it was, it was like probably over 50% of their entire like reconnaissance community was just like, that's it, we're out. And, uh, you know, a fair number of us ended up in, in special forces in the army. Uh, in fact, at one point I was on an, uh, an operational attachment alpha with two other recon Marines, which was just really, really weird. Like, like I knew. 
uh, my selection class had like, you know, 10, 15 guys that like I hadn't seen in like five years, like, Hey, what are you doing here? <laughs> and then one of the weirdest experiences I ever had going down that same road, uh, myself and another guy that I was actually in, he was in a sister platoon to me when we were in the Marine Corps in, uh, in recon. Uh, we were on the same detachment and we went to Halo school in a uh, new One of the weekends that we were off, we actually went over to uh, Coronado Island because another friend of ours that was a recon Marine was now a SEAL and was doing his his, uh, his BUDS instructor rotation. So, you know, yeah. it's not that odd. In fact, uh, the last guy that got the uh, Medal of Honor just a couple weeks ago, uh, he actually, same career path, he was a reconnaissance Marine that became a, a Green Beret. Yeah, I'd never thought about that. So do you ever feel like when you're talking to people, like you're talking to a guy at a bar or something and you tell them your military background that you could tell that they're like, oh, this guy's full of shit. <laughs> do you ever feel like people don't believe you? Oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> totally. 100%. Okay, man. Yeah, it's just the being. Just, yeah. <laughs> just just the being in two services special. That's really weird. Uh, like I said, it's not completely unique in the world that we live in, but it sounds really bad. Like, in fact, Sometimes I, I hold that card like way, way in reserve until I actually know somebody. Uh, I, I kind of felt like I, I had had to say those things, especially when I started uh, teaching people firearms. Like I feel like in that space, and that's what I did when I first got out. You you have to you have you can't bullshit that. Yeah, uh, all your stuff out there. It's kind of how it is, uh, and people should be able to check that because if they're paying you money to teach them something, like you know, it's got to all be there. So, but yeah, it's uh, it definitely makes for some interesting uh, conversations. Yeah, <laughs> what? I, you get called on something like that too. It's like some dude that like his cousin was a uh, you know in the Marine Corps band or something. He's like, Marines don't quit. You know, you're like, that's funny. <laughs> I, I know your cousin pumped gas in the CH forty sixes one time, but some of us do. Yeah, I. Uh... Man, military stuff can be hard, too, because I've been around guys who say, like, I'll say, oh, he's a former Marine. And then they'll be like, you're never a former Marine. And then I'll hear former and then I'll hear guys who are retired from the Marines call themselves former Marines. So it's like, I don't want to offend you guys. What do you want me to do? That's now. Here's another thing. Uh, I think I picked this up on an interview you were in. Were you on a Glock poster at one point? I was. <laughs> and for an idiotic reason. <laughs> Yeah, I was like literally the Glock poster boy one time. Uh, I kind of had a relationship with Glock. Uh, I wasn't like their corporate shooter or anything, but I ran one uh, when I shot a competitive pistol and competitive three gun. Uh, In fact, I had I took a Glock back to them that had maybe arguably more rounds than had ever been put on a Glock. They they told me that. (laughs) Uh, So it was like it was some absurd. It was like two hundred fifty thousand rounds in two years because I was working at a place where I got free ammo. Uh, so we kind of had a relationship. And then my, uh, my buddy, uh, Tom Beckstrand, who was a big, uh, he writes for guns and ammo, uh, called me up and he's actually my former team leader of special forces as well. He's like, Hey, check it out. Glock is doing this new ad campaign and it's all like military themed and stuff. So they want some like real boys to like dress up and, and stand in front of this MRAP. And, uh, this, this is my modeling career in a nutshell. He's like, they'll give us, two Glocks. <laughs> Probably cost the company like a hundred dollars. So yeah, but yeah, they used the hell out of that poster and uh, it, it was, it was pretty weird. I walk around Shasha or something. You're like, hey, 
that's awesome. I've never, I've never met somebody who's been on a Glock poster before, or even a firearm poster, I think, as far as I know. So when they said you could get any two you wanted, does that include the automatic one? Is that the 10? Is that is the Glock? Yeah, 18. Glock 18. Eight. No, no, it did not include the Glock 18. <laughs> that would have been what I said. But all right. <laughs> Anyone I want, huh? So, okay, so you're in, you're in Special Forces. Um, for most people, they probably know that as Green Berets. Um, so, so why are uh, – I think that uh, – so Special Forces is kind of – this is kind of like their wheelhouse, right, civil unrest. What is it about your training? What is it about their, their mission intel? I, you know, most people don't know the difference between any, right. any of them, right? Right. Yeah. But I, I just found this out too. Yeah. So, so what makes the Green Berets, Special Forces, what makes them uniquely qualified to understand civil um, unrests? Well, particularly because this is our specialty. The, thing, the two things that we do different than anybody else, any SEALs or Rangers or, you know, whatever counterterrorism reports, whatever, is one, we had to be language qualified in the, the region that we work in. So we had to go to a language school as well. Like uh, everybody speaks some kind of foreign language, uh, which for me was Arabic, uh, you know, French, Spanish, whatever. Wow. And that's because our, our primary job, uh, different than everyone else, is to either go in and uh, foment insurrections and, and make them work or shut them down both of which require not so much like cool guy commando shooting skills, but this like level of like understanding uh, a populace and being able to influence it and see the things that are, see the other people that are influencing it and either control and guide that to what we want it to do or piecemeal pick the parts out that will make it stop. So it, it is kind of a unique, it, it, it sounds sexy on, on like podcast. In real life, it actually sucks. It just takes a really long time, and like, there's a lot of like drinking tea and hanging out. But uh, but it is it is unique skill set. Yeah. So okay, I got a couple questions on this too. Okay, number one though, on your on training for that, did you have to go through? I don't even know if this training exists or if this is just on Rambo. But did you have to go through training where you could like be tortured and and learn how to like? Is that a, is that a real thing? And did you do any of that? Not nearly to the extent that it gets Hollywooded. <laughs> uh, we we do, and uh, I th I don't think this is unique to us. Although I, I think ours is, is maybe longer, but pretty much everybody in the the special operations arena has some form of uh, of SEER training at the end of their their school, and that stands for uh, survival, evasion, resistance, escape. Uh, and the survival part is just you know bear grills, like make fires and eat dry <laughs> meat, worms and that stuff. Uh, the evasion is, uh, you know, run and don't leave tracks. But the resistance part, yeah, there is a real thing about that. Uh, it's not something we can delve, like, super deep into because it's something, like, they, they keep a pretty close hold on. Uh, but, yeah, you do have to spend some time learning how to handle uncomfortable, very uncomfortable yeah. situations. I, I don't, again, just wanted to know if it was even a real thing. And I've, I figured to some extent it was. Now, now, here's another one that we probably can't dive too too deep into. Over the past 20 years, have, have they been utilizing the Green Beret? I, I think that, let me back up for one second. 
I think a lot of civilians have this idea and Jocko Willink joked about it that before he became a SEAL, he was telling his buddies like, oh man, we're involved in stuff that nobody knows about. We're always doing secret missions, I bet. And then he said it wasn't as exciting when he actually got in. Um, are they, have the Green Berets been used and uh, been utilized in ways in the past 20 years that most that um, is not public information or has it made, and I mean, outside of the Middle East, I'm talking right. like, you know, other parts of the, of the world that, that we wouldn't expect, or has it pretty much just been focused on Afghanistan and Iraq? Oh, oh our connections, our connections broken up. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Everybody can read between the lines there. <laughs> I can answer that, but I have to be careful how I phrase it. Um, oh, yeah, I don't want to get you in trouble. No, no, it's fine. There, there's a way around it. Uh, yes, absolutely, because we have a secondary job, uh, mm-hmm. because all that stuff I talked about before. One of the other things that we do, uh, and a lot of other soft is kind of getting into this. It's not as much of a primary mission for them, but they are getting into it. Uh, we also train foreign militaries all over the world all the time. Uh, yeah. And there's actually... A, a very specific uh, name for that. And actually, I'm just going to Google and see if it's common knowledge. And if it is, I'll say it. <laughs> that's that's all right. You know, I've heard, uh, man, any more through podcasts and speeches, guys have been letting more and more things slip. And if you can just kind of read between the lines and pay attention, you can at least get the gist of 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 that. I, I wouldn't be able to tell you anything specific that i've heard of but i've heard guys just drop hints here or there that's like huh wonder what he means by that I mean, one of the one of the most classic examples i know for a fact is not classified because it's in a book uh when we went to uh when we invaded panama and what was that 1989 something like that yeah yeah right, one of the first things that happened was a uh, seven special forces group which was actually based in panama for a lot of years and speaks spanish I mean, way better than any other group speaks their language. Those guys, like, live in Spanish. The first thing they did was they went around to, like, all their dudes they knew in the Panamanian military were like, hey, we're about to just, like, curb stomp you guys. So, like, if you could just, like, take your battalion out in the jungle and hide right here, like, we won't bomb you. And they were like, okay, cool. And that (laughs) defense forces, you know, probably by a quarter before, before a shot was even fired. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, like I said, that that uh, that kind of comes with the territory, I, I figure. Um, so yeah, you know, okay. So with what we're about to talk about, this I was thinking, I had this thought kind of this morning was that even if this isn't relevant for fifty years or longer, in your book, and and I'm talking about Prairie Fire specifically, um, and you've got Concrete Jungle, which is which is a similar one, um, came out first, um, but these books are still great to study of of what's going to happen when a society collapses because societies continue to collapse even on a small scale. I was talking to um, a friend of mine and I said, what do you think it would actually look like for shit to hit the fan? And he said, I think, I think it already has. And he said, I think depending on where you're at or or who you are, um, you know, it has already. And I thought about that because, you know, for me, I worked at Budweiser all of the pandemic so I was good. I mean, I was, that was truly an, an, you know, a recession proof job. I was just fine. It was a little bit scary. Cause I thought, you know, we thought we were going to get sick all the time, but, but, you know, if you were somewhere else, it should hit the fan. Or, you know, if you are a kid who lives in Mexico and a cartel comes and takes over and I have, I have friends who have just saw one of them today who that's happened to them when they lived in Mexico, shit has hit the fan for you. 
Um, and it is an apocalypse type scenario. So, um, for, for different, for different things, um, for different people, um, shit will hit the fan. Societies will collapse and, and it's good to be prepared for that. And, and I'll even, I told you, I talk about my experience with it. You know, I live in Fremont, Nebraska. Um, in, in uh, 2019, we had a flood that made our town an island and we were an island for a week. You could not get in or out of Fremont except, uh, except for we have a small airport, right? Um, we were pretty much fine. Um, you know, if anything, people were being a little bit uh, dramatic about it. And I was on city council at the time and you know, I actually wasn't getting a whole lot of updates because the mayor, the administrator, they're all running around doing stuff. I remember, um, you know, thinking that there is all these, uh, it, it, it's such a crazy thing. And it really comes down to like what this book is about, because it was like on Facebook, people are saying, hey, we need we need all these people here to go bag up sand and put sandbags out. And I'm like, what the hell? You know, because I'm like, I'm on the city council, man. I haven't been getting any phone calls or emails, not knowing it's because right. people were so busy. They didn't have the chance to do so. So I, my brother-in-law and I, we go and we go to put up sandbags. And uh, I show up there, like, you know, thinking like, well, what's going on? Show up and you see the water kind of coming up and you start to realize like, oh, shit. And that's that moment where how's the community going to react? And People are a little bit dramatic about it, but the truth is the community truly did stand together. Um, people came, they, they, they used their trucks, they used everything to kind of band together and put out sandbags. One of the most impressive things to me was the Hispanic community. People that couldn't even speak English were showing up and they were, they were all working. It was, it was just a very incredible unifying moment for the, for the community. Um, but in that time period, some fast food places are kind of starting to run out of food. You're starting to get nervous mm -hmm. about the grocery store. And for the, and believe it or not, people actually didn't rush to the store and buy everything, which and again is a testament to the community. I would not have bet that, but like we went, put out sandbags. We went to the store, wasn't any more busy than like a typical Saturday. Um, so again, wow. that, that's, that's kind of unique, I think, but you know, after everything was said and over with, and, and then I start getting the reports, you know, being on city council, you start getting the reports firsthand. And I started to realize like, oh shit, like we got really close to this being bad, like um, to, to losing a lot more than, than we did. And so I told my wife, like, look, I don't know what's going to happen next year, but we need to stock up on some food. We need to, any supply that I was thinking would be good to have, you know, we need to do that. But that all came in the blink of an eye. I didn't see it coming. I was on city council. I didn't see it coming. Yeah, you heard reports of some flooding, but unless you live next to a river, I mean, who really takes that, you know, seriously or really stops right. and considers it? It was just boom, can't leave Fremont anymore. And uh, again, we were locked down for a week. So um, this book is is really good for for people who who live in places like I do, uh, you know, the Midwest, the flyover states, the, the the small counties or whatever, because I think at the heart of that book is really a book about community, having people you trust and, um, and, and building uh, safe relationships. Oh, I mean, without question. I mean, that was, that's, that's kind of part of the, uh, the, the deal. And, uh, you know, it's part of what I wanted to, uh, to influence with that book is, you know, there's like a sliding scale of disasters or, or collapses for that matter. You know, some of the, some of the historians argue that like, you know, the Roman empire fell for 350 years. Like, you know, it took a long time. Things got progressively worse. And sometimes they were better in between those. Sometimes yeah. they were really bad. You know, barbarians with hatchets, you know, everywhere. 
but there was a lot of in-between times where it was just more like, uh, you know, like the roads are all banged up now. And, uh, you know, <laughs> coins aren't really worth anything. So we got to, you know, switch over to something else. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, arguably that's kind of where we are, you know, like things are not going great right now. They could get a lot worse. And we, we address that, you know, bad into the scale as well. But the, uh, the biggest thing that I've always thought about with this kind of thing, one of the things that most preppers in general is kind of that prepper genre miss is we talk about a large scale disaster, your community directly affects your survivability. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, we crash a bush plane. Like, yeah, it's important to know how to make a fire and purify some water and all this other stuff. But uh, I, actually, one of the one of the preppers in that space that I respect the most, one of the guys whose books I read all the time, uh, Cody uh, Cody London. Yeah, he's been. Yeah, yeah, he's fantastic. I actually love that guy more than most of the other survival kind of dudes because he's such a hippie weirdo and his stuff always works, man. Every time, yeah. <laughs> every time. But uh, his piece of nature stuff really does work. But uh, he addresses in one of his first books, he's been doing this for like 40 years or so, let's say. And he takes people out and, you know, runs like survival exercises and stuff. He says straight up, he's never seen, and he takes experts out too, like experts in the field. He's never seen somebody make it past like, I think three weeks on just natural stuff. Like stuff, you know, berries they got out of the ground, that kind of thing. Uh, and even even if they start going past that, they're losing so much weight and so much body mass that he is like arguably the best guy on the planet on survival says it's unsustainable. Like we have an agricultural society for a reason. Like I can't believe that. I didn't even know that. He really said oh, three it, weeks. I, I think it's that short. Maybe it's 30 days. It's it's some kind of you know time frame like that, though. But he's got uh, a couple of books. I'm going to link them to our to uh, to the website so people can check out him. But yeah, keep going. Sure. Yeah, and, and look, by all means, I'll, I'll look that quote up later. Make sure I didn't make up a lie about Cody. I'm pretty sure he's the one that said it. And, uh, that I mean, that really actually affected me when I was. That was probably five or six years ago that I read that, and I was I was looking at things. It's like that that changes the dynamic on like survival, man. Like that's that's not good. <laughs> And that's really what got me thinking on no matter how bad it gets, like we have to maintain some semblance of community. That could be like a, you know, a tribe of 10, uh, you know, 20, something like that, but you've got to have that. And that, that also has a big, there's a big other factor there in that, you know, you can't do everything yourself. It's, it's impossible to know all the tasks that need to be done to, you know, live on like a, like a long-term basis, not a short-term basis, basis. Yeah. You know, whoever skins rabbits the best, whatever we're talking long-term, like years and years down the line. I mean, you just can't know it all. Uh, I mean, even just purely on the defensive side, the, you know, the, the place where I'm an expert, uh, I'm very upfront about this in the book. Like if I actually threw my entire resume out there, like all these ninja schools and all this, you know, bullshit, like, yeah. I mean, it reads like a demon's resume of fighting with a gun, but I'm telling you straight up, like I can't do this by myself either. Like there's wow. no. Yeah. Well, you you point out in the book too, even just things that I haven't thought about, like how physically fit you have to be if you're going to be in a long term sustainable gunfight. Which oh, I've shot, I've shot, you know, enough. I, I think I've shot what was it? Maybe a little bit less than 300 rounds just through different. Um, guns and stuff and i had a blister on my finger afterwards and it was like like damn 
you know? So it's like, if you, I just got done reading like uh, David uh, Balava's book, uh, house to house. Um, I think that's how you say his name. Uh, the guy, he, he got medal of honor in Fallujah, but dude, when the army, when those guys got back from Fallujah, they were caked in blood. They hadn't, they hadn't had a bath in weeks. They've been killing people for a week straight. They all had diarrhea. So they all had shit sticking like all over their pants. He said yep. he actually got to the point where he was shoving toilet paper up his ass. I mean, like it, it gets brutal. And, and yeah, yeah so you do need a community the, the idea that, you know, a lot of tough guys have where they think like they're going to go out and, and be a, you know, a solo Rambo out there, um, you know, maybe for Party a day, <laughs> you know. Well, the other one that kills me in that exact thought process is the other guys that are like, I'll just get this adrenaline dump that I can do like magic. Cause I've seen this stuff where like, you know, uh, a, a mom picks up a F-350 yeah. off her child. Yeah. Adrenaline will do amazing things for you, but it wears off. Like I don't, care how bad of a situation you're in it wears off yeah uh, i mean i've been in firefights so long that like you've gone through a couple of adrenaline cycles and you're starting to get like tired like sleepy like people yeah. are shooting back and you're like oh my god i need a nap like can we end this uh and that, that adrenaline will only keep you going for so long and it's it's a matter of hours too it's not a matter of days uh you know your physical fitness starts to matter very very rapidly in like an intense like combat situation yeah i want to i'm gonna we're gonna get into that too a little bit in, in a minute but I, I do want to pause for for a second and just back up completely about where exactly are we at because when you wrote prairie fire we were in a pretty bad right. spot and you predicted the the what was going to happen with the election i'll give you about 85 percent right because you said trump's going to win in a lang landslide election night happened uh and then you said by monday they're going to say it's joe biden happen then you said we we're going to go into a civil war now depending on who you talk to if you talk to a democrat they might tell you that january 6th was more scary than any scary movie all the scary <laughs> movies combined and was the worst day in the world and was worse than uh or, or was on the same level of pearl harbor and was just this awful horrible day so i guess maybe right. to them you were right but then you talk to a conservative and it's like i didn't think it was that big of a deal man <laughs> but so that's why I'll give you 85% because we had some civil unrest after it, but it wasn't, you know, a full blown you're on this side and I'm on that side. Uh, do you still hold the same thoughts or do you think that uh, cooler heads will prevail and your book is not necessary right now? I'm going to, I'm going to say kind of both now. Uh, yes. Uh, getting the election, right. That was a huge deal. And uh, basically what I wrote though, the, the pieces after that was kind of a worst case scenario. And I, there was also a big impetus on me to get the book out before the election because I thought we might go that way. Like I thought we might go full up, like shooting each other. And, uh, and so far we, we have not. And really I could look at that one or two ways, either we just haven't got there yet because I, I don't think we're done. Or I could look at that as we've opted for the other glide path, which is the slow descent into uh, either uh, tyranny or anarchy. Is that, I mean, one thing I did not predict at all in the in the book was like the uh, the vaccine craziness and the mandates and like the, the further lockdowns and, uh, you know, all this kind of crazy stuff, which it does seem like we're fighting back on. But like I live where I live, like there's those things in mass made. I cannot imagine living in New York City right now. Like, no. I mean, that's that's like a it's like a whole different planet. Uh, but I, I don't think they're going to let go of this control. So 
we could still end up exactly where I said we were going to go, or we could kind of end up in a place where, you know, the empire doesn't blow up with fireworks, but it does just kind of stop functioning. Yeah. Uh, the governor of South Carolina was on today talking about how he will not let the constitution be violated by the, uh, by the white house, which is like, Ooh, <laughs> like, like South Carolina, you kind of got a history here, bro. Like let's, like, let's calm down. <laughs> but, uh, but that kind of stuff is not that far out of the question. I, not even like a, a secession or like some crazy shit like that, but more along the lines of like out here in the Midwest, like we're probably just not going to do it anymore. Like if they come out with some weird mandates, we're just going to ignore them like we did last time. And yeah, that kind of puts you up for a path where you kind of just build like a, a parallel system. And, and one day that's the only system you have. That's not that uncommon either. Yeah, it's it is super odd because we're kind of already there right now. And it's turning into that with social media pretty fast. I mean, um, I think that more and more conservatives are going to hit up the the conservative um, social media sites. And I don't know if that's for better or for worse, you know, for everybody to just kind of go their own separate ways. And, you know, if you're a Democrat, you're going to go live with Democrats or you're going to go to your Democrat city. I don't know. It's like where I'm at, you know, like I heard somebody compare a a face mask is like the Democrats mega hat. And it's true. Like where I'm at, like nobody's wearing a face mask. And I remember this past summer, 2021, I went to Kansas city and I went to walk into a Wendy's and it was closed on the inside and it was all yeah. mask mandate everywhere. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, this has not been like this for a year where I'm at, you know, but if you go to Omaha or Lincoln, you know, they're constantly toying around the ideas of, of mask. It's actually been weird here because Omaha was going to do a mask mandate and the governor was like, no, you're not. No, that's not okay. And, and said, absolutely not. So it is weird. Um, it, it does boil down to, I'll, I'll say this, man, actually, I, I do want to say this. I don't think we're out of the gate here yet. I think that we're going to see what happens in the 2022 elections. I think that well, after 2020, this November, um, things may balance out. Best case scenario is things balance out, things cool down, and then we only have to worry about who, you know, the next presidential election. But I'll be honest, if it's not a red wave, which anybody who's being honest and looking at the data should see a tsunami coming, if it's not, then we're going to be in a different, because I don't think anybody would believe those results. You know, I don't think anybody well, can believe that. So we're, I think we're going to be up for a weird couple of years here. I'll throw two things in there. One, I would love to absolutely be wrong about like this ever turning into a shoot. I would love to like 10 years from now, still being mocked on social media, like, oh, that idiot thought we were going to shoot each other and everything was resolved peacefully. would be like, wow, yeah. that's, that's terrible. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I would love for it to go that way. But I, I definitely think you're right coming in 22. Uh, I mean, even last night, old, uh, Uncle Joe basically laid the groundwork for calling this election fraudulent if it's a red wave yep. which is like, oh man come on like that's part of the problem with this kind of stuff too is just the the political figurehead setting it up as as it could be fraudulent uh you know the big thing going into 2020 was that trump's not going to accept uh, a loss no matter what it it already kind of primes the fanatical factions for like bloodshed and freak out. But uh, I mean, I think there's a very good possibility that if 22 is as screwed up as 20 was, uh, whether that be results, or, yeah. you know, 
plumber, the windows and the counting rooms, uh, the algorithm starts doing crazy shit with that scene and his numbers in the middle of the night. That could change the dynamic. Like people might like hardcore freak out, uh, especially if this, I don't know what percentage of people believes that, that 2020 was fraudulent right now, but it's, it's probably not that many. It's probably like 20% of, uh, of like the right wing. Yeah. Um, there's still so many people that are talking about we're going to vote in 22 and fix this, blah, blah, blah. If they get hammered again in the exact same way in 22, like a whole lot more of that population is going to be upset. Yeah. So yeah, things might get real weird. And you know what, man? And I'll, I'll say this too, with, with the 2020 election, it's like, I told my wife, I said, look, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't know about it. It's from what I'm understanding is like the claims that Trump made, in public are not the same claims that he actually made in court, which tells me that he must believe in some capacity that he did lose fair and square. But I've always said this, it's not like there's been no smoke around this. It's not, these people don't believe that the election was stolen just because their guy lost. There was a lot of weird and sketchy things going on. Um, and the one comforting thing with Biden saying like, oh, about, about the, you know, the elections being fraudulent, they say that almost every, every time that they might get their ass kicked, they always, they say before every election that it could potentially be fraudulent. Um, you know what I mean? The, the, the Democrats do the Republican, everybody does. Um, shit, people say it on a local level, which at least where I'm at, I guarantee you that's not happening, but, but, um, you know, it wasn't as if people weren't concerned for with with no evidence. There was some sketchy surveillance stuff. There was weird law changes. There was the media covering up for Biden. And not that 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 Trump, uh, you know, with his campaign. Not even I don't I don't want to get into politics because um, obviously Trump didn't help himself in a lot of ways. But I'm all right. I'm saying is that if you're honest and you really look at what was going on and what was going through you know, each side's head. It wasn't like it was without reason that people thought it was stolen. And if you take away a free election, what else do you have left? How else is power going to change hands? So you got I, yeah, I, I'll say that. Well, that's, that's part of all this is like, it doesn't even have to be true. It doesn't have to be like I can prove in a court of law. The minute that like a significant number of people believe that they will never win at the ballot box again, like yeah. those the remaining options are pretty slim and none of them are good. Yeah, correct. And here's the other, this, this is, and I've already talked to you about this and, and we'll talk about it here now. This is one thing though, that I found was spooky and I'm trying to figure out, okay, why are they saying this? Um, so major news network, the other day I Googled another civil war because I started seeing all these massive media headlines. So, and I sent you this screenshot, the New York times opinion, is civil war looming or should we calm down? Harvard Gazette. Harvard political scientists say U.S. civil war unlikely. Okay, this is this past week. This is that I'm reading these. Uh, NPR. Imagine another civil war, but this time in every state. The Guardian. Is the U.S. really heading for a second civil war? I sent that to you because I was saying, why are all the major, why are all these major media news outlets talking about civil war? To me, that's starting to freak me out. Is it's like, why are you trying to, are you trying to instigate something? What is your Green Beret take on that? It's definitely not a good sign. Uh, and I can look at this two ways. I can look at this from the, uh, you know, the tinfoil hack conspiracy theorist. Like, you know, 
actually saying there might be a second civil war that was like a weird position like three years ago like you had to be kind of a nutcase like nobody would take <laughs> you seriously like yeah I, and they wouldn't i wouldn't i would be like you know that's not going to happen uh yeah you just got to be a nutter that believed in like the lizard people and like some other stuff you know uh, but as it's become I, I believe it's not just talking points as more and more people are talking about it and, and seeing all the indicators of this could go this way, it's kind of getting forced up into the media for one. Uh, the second thing is it, it definitely does play into their narrative of uh, January 6th was uh, worse than, you know, Fort Sumter and, uh, and all this other stuff to, to kind of, yeah. you know, rally the troops. So it, it, it actually both. I see more people coming to that conclusion. And I also see it's a, it's a, it's a narrative that helps further their ends of you know, doing weird stuff like opening up Capitol police offices in Los Angeles and Florida for some reason, uh, which happened uh, or, or for <laughs> militarizing the police. Yeah. Or the big one that I'm seeing right now, uh, the purging of the ranks of the military uh, for those that won't bend the knee. And that could be either ideologically or about the vaccine. I mean, one of the first things that the uh, the Biden team did when they, they stepped in officer with old uh, Lloyd Austin, I mean, they were they said publicly it was their mission to root out uh, radicals from the military ranks. Uh, that's a witch hunt. Like that's basically getting rid of people that are uh, politically uh, inconvenient for you. For the most yeah. part, yeah. There's some there's there's a small I mean tiny percentage of nutters in there probably, but I mean, it's, I spent 20 years in it or 15 years in the military. It was not a significant enough problem to warrant the Pentagon talking about uh, crazy insurrections in the ranks. Yeah, it's, um, this, dude, uh, let me, okay. What do you, this is what it seems like to me is that when you do these kind of things, you make the, you make the good guys leave and then you can fill them up with whatever turd you want, whether that's an ambitious guy who wants a high rank or whether that's an ideological guy who's bad, but aligns with you. What do you think that it, do you think that there, do you think that there is a, a conscious plan to say, Let's let's put pressure on these guys so the good guys leave. Kind of like if you don't want to break up with somebody, so you treat them poorly, hoping that they leave you first, right? <laughs> it's like, are they trying to put pressure on the good guys, knowing that the next guys that come in are automatically signing up for, like they they know what they're signing up for by filling in those spots? Yeah. Do you think that there's a conscious effort in the military? Yeah, and it's not even new. Uh, Obama started this under his term too, uh, yeah. right around. Like, 2012, like when the, the wars were, were pretty much over as far as like major fighting went, there yeah. was a massive push to uh, shove like all the war fighters out the door as uh, guys that actually, you know, went and fought an insurgency for 10 years. Those are a lot more dangerous than guys you built yesterday that don't have any like actual practical experience doing it. So they came at it two ways. Uh, that's actually what happened to me. Uh, I went in to get some, uh, some pain meds one time. Uh, yeah, I've been doing this job with these injuries that I took for like five years. And uh, like 2012, I go in to get some pain meds or, you know, acupuncture or some bullshit. And uh, this doctor like opens up my file and is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like you should have been medically discharged like years ago. I'm like, what? And uh, right then, like press the button on the computer. And uh, nine months later, I'm out. I'm gone. 
And that was happening uh, to a lot of people. They were actually going, they actually had teams of like specialists going back through medical records, looking for injuries that they could force people to retire on. Then, wow. as soon as they were, then as soon as they were done with that, that's when things got real crazy. That's when they went to what's called a uh, quality, man- quality management program, QMP. So then when they were done with the medical side, they went over and they went back through dude's record books from like, you know, 15 years prior looking for any kind of infraction. Uh, we're in the military, we call it page 11, uh, article 15. So you had dudes like literally like high up, like, master sergeants in like special forces getting shoved out the door for something that happened to them when they were a private and ranger regiment in 1999. And uh, I mean, that was a, it was not an insignificant number of people that shoved out the door that way. That's what we're seeing now is, is something similar to that. Yeah. Um, people, I, I noticed that Tucker Max got um, really a lot of people gave him a hard time um, for kind of coming out and saying kind of what he believes. You know, he's, he's around a very intellectual community. Um, you know, he said he got a lot of silent support. Uh, but if you would read the comments, people would say that, no, it's not that bad. Um, you know, the, these things are basically circular, which to some extent are, I've had cops tell me that, that it seems like violence kind of ebbs and flows. And so, you know, I told you I was going to run some numbers um, because I wanted to compare 2020 versus 1968. Because, yeah, you could say the same thing that in Vietnam, you know, you had guys like Hackworth who were, who were split in the military, you know, which was a big deal. Um, you know, you, you had somewhat of I don't I don't know how bad the purging was, but maybe somewhat comparable. But if you compare, you know, 1968 versus 2020 um, and, and this is as best as a guy like me can do. I, I did. Uh, I was looking online. Um, I used different web browsers and I cross checked on different sites. And I kind of looked at the averages here. I don't think that this is completely accurate, but I think it gives a ballpark of 1968 versus 2020. Um, And and the reason why I'm doing this is because obviously things smoothed out in 1968. You know, will things smooth out after 2020? We'll find that out. But in 1968, you had Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. Um, In the riots following that, 43 people were killed, 27,000 arrested, 3,500 injured probably about 60 to $100 million in damages, which nowadays is about 460 to $768 million in today's dollars. You could say maybe a billion dollars in today's dollars if you really want to round up, that's fine. Okay, so then 2020, 25 deaths. Okay, so not as many deaths. And we also have the political assassinations either, which is great. So, so, so we're down there. 2,000 police injured, unknown number of civilians. Okay, when you look at modern medicine, that's that's not quite an accurate number because if you were to treat these people using 1968 medicine, for all we know, we would have sat on 200 deaths or 100 deaths. You know, who knows? We've obviously got better emergency medicine. So, so as far as comparing deaths, eh, that that's I guarantee you, we probably would have had more just based off of that. Um, unknown number of civilians. I have no idea if they're counting Chaz and, and Chop and all that crap. I don't know what what they're determining that for, but at least 2000 police were injured alone. Um, and we also know that random people are just getting the shit beat out of them too. Uh, so, so you got that, you got one to $2 billion in damages. Again, I don't know how far they're going into calculating that, but I think at least one to two is fair. I think 
I think when you really compare the numbers and you try to adjust everything for inflation and modern technology, I think things were probably worse, especially when you compare the fact that Martin Luther King Jr., uh, you know, he was an established figure, whereas George Floyd wasn't an established figure when he passed. I think that things yeah. today um, got heated a lot faster. And I think in, in a lot of ways are, are definitely worse outside of the political assassinations, which, again, I'm very happy that we don't have that, obviously. Well, and the other one that we haven't seen is we haven't seen the bombings. That was a big one in the 60s that, that yeah. a lot of people age, like miss. But like, I mean, somebody bombed the damn Pentagon. Somebody bombed the Capitol building. Like there were bombs all over New York City. Uh, and we haven't really seen that one this time. But that was a huge deal. I mean, there was a lot of, uh, of crazy stuff going on with that. But yes, outside of that. Yeah, this one. Uh, this one has been bad, though. It's been really bad. And I think the bigger problem right now, what we're seeing that we didn't see before is a lot of this like precursor genocide talk. And what I mean by that, uh, like, are you familiar with like the, uh, the checklist for a genocide? No, I'm not. Okay. Well, it's, it's not an exact science, but there's a lot of people who study genocides that basically came out with this like list, like here's how it gets done. And, uh, uh, Rwanda is the one that gets cited the most. Yeah, and I can't remember what they all are off the top of my head. But there's all this stuff where basically you have to dehumanize your enemy, and then get people riled up, and then there's these few other steps that go on before a, an actual genocide happens. A lot of the rhetoric that is being like spouted out there, and it, it actually comes from like three, four different fronts, is very much like Radio Rwanda getting ready to go kind of stuff and it never gets banned from social media because that stuff always sticks and the the two that come to my mind most importantly for uh, for who's doing it all right you have the uh, the coalition of like uh black lives matter that are very much like we have to murder these colonizers uh and get rid of them meaning yeah people generally and the second one that i th- I don't know how big that movement is. And I don't know how many people are involved with that, but it is happening. The second one, the one that should scare the hell out of everyone, is climate change is a, a religion to a, a fair number of people on the far left. Yeah. And one of the things of climate change is that you and your grandchildren are killing their God, which is Gaia. And uh, you're doing it right now by your existence. And it doesn't take a whole lot to push that into, well, we should mass murder like 80% of the country so that we stop killing their God. Uh, So, I mean, that's something that I think people miss, like normal people, like us out here in the Midwest, like how could they, how could they do that? Uh, Well, man, there's like a, like I said, there's a psychological preparation that goes into all this. And the other thing is, you know, how do you kill ants in your kitchen? Do you, press on it one by one, or do you go get some, some chemicals and, and kill the whole nest? That's how they think of, of normal everyday people is a, a nuisance and a pest, not, not a human being. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, for, for a couple of books for people to look up if they want to on, on the Rwanda thing, you know, check out machete season. And, uh, we wish to inform you that tomorrow we will be killed with our families. That's the book title. I don't know if you've oh, ever man, heard, yeah, that. heard that. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've read uh, parts of that one. Um, and people should check that out. People should also probably check out Ordinary Men 
Um, that one's been tossed out around like a lot. People have mentioned it, but, um, but yeah, the, the language is starting to get a little bit freaky. Um, another, another little stat here too. Um, I don't know if there's ever been a time like now where cops are afraid to do their job. I mean, completely afraid retirement is up 30% and, uh, recruitment numbers are astronomically low. So, so that also plays, and it might actually be lower than the nineties, which I think was a record at the time. Um, so, so you factor in that too. Um, I think a lot well, of people well, go ahead. Going back oh, to your death, the 68 riots. Uh, did you calculate in the increase in murders since the uh, George Floyd riots? No, you gotta, I did not. You gotta, I did not. Like, and I totally get it. Like if I was a cop, I would be trying to ride my car into retirement, like, because everybody hates them. Uh, they try to do their jobs and they get dealt with for it. And uh, we call it the Baltimore effect. That one goes all the way back to Freddie Gray, which good Lord, how many years ago was that? It doesn't matter. Uh, but I mean, if you knew like dudes around Baltimore, like straight up the cops were like, okay, you know, if this is what happens, when we try to do our job. Uh, then we just won't do it anymore. We'll go eat donuts in, the, in a cop car and that's it. But uh, I mean, I think if you went back and calculated the increase in murders for like Chicago, St. Louis, uh, Detroit, uh, Minneapolis, I think that would skew your statistics like way. Oh, yeah. And that, uh, yeah, and I can guarantee that that's obviously not even, you know, that hasn't even been, uh, you know, factored in. Um, but yes, the, the, I read the book, The Hiding Place. Um, a couple of years ago. And when I read it, I had this realization that sounds pretty basic, but I realized that it only takes about five years for a society or a country to collapse and turn in on itself. And obviously we're, you're always within five years of something, right? You, you can live until you're 90 years old saying, I'm going to die in five years. Eventually it's going to happen. But what I mean by that is I realized that I realized that for an idea to spread it only takes about five years for whatever that idea is, whether that's a communist idea or whatever, for that to spread and for that to turn a country around. It I think it only takes about five years. And, and in that book, they talk about how they started noticing really bad, uh, you know, language. What was being taught in these colleges was, was spooked them out. And this was a few years before the Nazis rose to power. Again, if I lived in the 60s and I sent my kids to college and they became free love hippies, I'd be raging pissed and probably a little bit freaked out. So it's not, again, like it's the first time, but back then they were free love peace hippies. They were not what we're hearing now. What we're hearing now are people who want to do violence. That's also another major difference that um, make me think that, no, this is not the same as the sixties and seventies. Well, I, I wish I had pulled up because I, I didn't even know this. You know, it's one of those things like I didn't know the, the our discussion was going this direction. I wish I could pull up right now a list of all the politicians that basically encouraged violence while this was happening. Because there were a lot of them. There was uh, oh yeah, who exactly said what? But there was a lot of like, yeah, you got to make them get uncomfortable, or I'd be out there burning and looting too, and like all those other crazy stuff. Which oh, is oh uh, yeah, yeah, man. That I mean. You don't even have to have a perfect, a specific example. It was everywhere. Yes. That is also a big problem. That lends uh, authority to the act. And that's also a, a step of the genocide stuff. Like, that's that's one of the ways that you get people to do it. Yeah. I, um, I you know, I was going to ask you if, 
if America's biggest threat is internal or an external threat. I think it's kind of obvious that it's internal. Um, I, I do want to talk about Russia and China here in, in a minute, but um, but yeah, it, here's another factor of it too. I read uh, Andy Andy I don't know how to say his name, but Andy, how do you say it? It's like NGO. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, he wrote the book Antifa. Oh, no, yeah, no, I don't know how to pronounce yeah, whatever, it. Yeah, I'm really, I feel really stupid for not knowing. Sorry, guys. Um, but, you know, he wrote that book on Antifa because he's somebody who's been attacked by them multiple times. And when you read that book and you see that they're being funded by celebrities, like, you know, the dude from the office is bailing out rioters or, or whatever. I think he was one of them. Could be wrong. But yeah. all these celebrities are, are bailing people out. And you start to realize, like, there's serious. Corporations, man. Yeah. Yeah. There's serious yeah. money involved with black lives matter and antifa so do you think that they that they just went away with their ideas no yeah yeah no it's crazy i mean uh, i want to say the nfl itself promised like a billion dollars over five years uh like i mean staggering amounts of money yeah yeah so i mean this was not just an organic uprising or the extortion work you can look at it either way yeah and like I said, do, do, do you think that, that, first of all, the people who are ideological, their idea, that that ideologue did not become realized yet. They have not had their utopia yet. So first of all, on that front, you know, it's not over with. On the money side, you know, maybe they did buy nice, well, we know that some of the people bought nice homes and are living in nice neighborhoods. So maybe they want to chill out, but maybe they don't. Maybe now they're just better funded and just waiting. You know what I mean? Either way, they were very strategic about how they went about things. That's one of the things that spooks me out is because um, why would they just stop now? You know, I, I do factor in the fact that some people were probably rioting just because they were bored during COVID, you know, like, okay, I haven't been able to go outside. Now I can, this is something I believe in, you know, whatever. But again, there was a lot of money that was they exchanging stopped. hands in this time. They stopped because the people pulling their strings told them to stop. Yeah. And that's obvious. Uh, the only times that they've come back in the, uh, in the last year was uh, outside of uh, Kyle Rittenhouse's trial and outside of Derek Chauvin's trial. That's the only peep that we've heard from uh, from that organization. So it's uh, it's pretty hard not to say that, you know, their their bosses, their whoever was thirty seven steps up the uh, chain of command, told them to stop. Said less. Yeah. If you were in special forces right now, and, and let's say that this was happening in another country, let's say Canada, just to be funny, and uh, they said, hey, hey, uh, we want you to monitor this. And you're, you're studying this, you know, as, as somebody who's in special forces and you're getting intel and you're watching, you know, you see the bank accounts and you see the movement and things like that. What would what would you guys be doing right now? <laughs> uh would you be you'd be picking winners and losers at this point, huh? Well, definitely. It would. Uh, let's say that you know we figure if we were trying to, you kind of had to pick a side too. Like, are we trying to stop it or keep it going? Yeah. Uh, if we were if we're trying to stop it, like, oh man, probably. You know, <laughs> silly things uh, would happen <laughs> to some people. Yeah, yeah it would. Yeah. Be some good protest. Let's let's. I guess let's I get what you. I, I no no because I what I mean by that is that y you would be you would be um, the military would be concerned would they not I mean if this is going on oh, in another country much. if this is going yeah. on and th that's what I mean by that is that this would be something that 
you would be studying, you would, you would be, they'd probably send well, people out on the ground to say like, you know, we got to either try to divert this or we got to do something here. You know what that's, I mean? And it's happening internally. Last summer would have been looked at as a color revolution. And if we were trying to stop it, there's a way that we would attack it. And if we were trying to foment it, there's a way that we would, you know, help fuel it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it looked like. Uh, I mean, all that stuff is like, you know, it, it basically looks like the new guy at Langley getting the PowerPoint brief, like, okay, we do this, and then we do this, and then we do this, and then we do this. What's how? Change of government. Yeah. 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 So that's, so, yeah. that's what I mean. That, that's what I mean is what's kind of freaky is that, you know, if you're in the military right now, you'd be looking at it and you would be seeing steps of like, okay, this government's about to get overthrown. What do we do? <laughs> you know what I mean? And And again, I hope that we're wrong, but civilians aren't thinking like that civilians aren't connecting the dots they just think like hey people are mad um and now now they're happy and it's like well you know maybe the mass amount of people aren't thinking about it but there's people who now have money uh who are thinking about it you know and that's that's what's uh that's what kind of worries me um now there was just some headlines um over the past couple weeks that the that the u.s military was training for like a civil war um, my understanding is that that's actually pretty common. Was that, did you, did you have training like that too? Oh, yeah, dude, especially this one that's been going on right now is, is actually a very famous exercise called Robin Sage. Yeah. Uh, and it happens between four and six times a year. Uh, and it's, it's actually the, uh, it's not the graduation exercise, but it is the decisive phase of uh, special forces training where you either go home or you're going to make it. Pretty much after you successfully do Robin Sage, like you're not going to fail anymore. Yeah, this has been going on since like I believe the, the middle mid fifties. All of North Carolina, pretty much outside of the cities, is, is like heavily invested in this war game called Robin Sage. And some of it, I mean, it's been going on so long that like families generationally have chosen a faction, and it's uh, it's either uh, Pineland or the uh, Atlanticans, I believe, right now. And uh, this was basically like a, a, a deal that got made back when like the, the communism f- taking over, like, like actually, like, you know, Russian paratroops showing up was like a, a very real fear. It uh, also, it was a perfect place to train special forces guys about how to do, uh, you know, insurgency and counterinsurgency. So it's this big scripted scenario. It's always the same. Uh, the Atlanticans invade Pineland. We got to go in and help Pineland, you know, restore freedom by starting an yeah. insurgency. Or, or, or helping fuel one. Uh, but I mean, there've been entire books written about, it. I think it might've be referenced in the John Wayne movie, the green Berets. This thing happens like all the time, like yeah. all the time. Uh, and, but for some reason this year, like people are freaking out. And uh, it was the same thing a couple years ago when I, when Jade Helm was going on, Jade Helm was just a bigger version of this exercise. Uh, and they happen to do it in Texas. Uh, but it's not uncommon. Uh, I mean, you think about it, like, where else is the U.S. military going to go train? Like, you can't, like, go to Mexico <laughs> for a training exercise. Yeah. And, and bar- so it's going to happen in the United States. There's always all this, like, crazy stuff about, you know, we got to get land rights or, or use federal property or, uh, or whatever. Yeah, so it's not that big of it. It's not a huge thing. In fact, people would probably freak out on the smaller scale if they knew like how many times military exercises were going on in like major cities, like it's a lot more than you think. Really? Uh, like live shots being taken across like 
downtowns from building to building and stuff for tonight. Like there's some, there's some wazoo stuff that goes on that like yeah. I've never seen. That's great. See, and, and that's some people were like really freaking out about that. Cause they're like, what is go? What are they planning? And other people were like, Hey, just chill out. It's, it's a common exercise. Again, I want to be reasonable about this. I don't want to just jump into let's get scared about everything. It's like, um, there was a guy who was uploading a video on the internet of all these uh, like tanks on a train. And he's like, someone want to explain to me why this is driving through South Dakota or whatever. It's like, because they do this shit all the time, dude. You just never noticed like, it. But, like, you know, just because you see some <laughs> tanks on a train <laughs> doesn't mean like, your town's about to get invaded. Because the South Dakota National Guard is tanking their tanks to NTC in California because that's the only place they can live fire them. And in, in six weeks or so, they're going to be going right back the other direction. Yeah. So, yeah, people do freak over stuff that's, I mean, uh, hell, same summer 20, uh, 2017, 2018. There was all these videos go of military equipment. Like, yeah, well, summertime is also when the National Guard does its two-week training. Like, because everybody's off from school or college or whatever. Yeah. Like, yes, there's an uptick in military traffic, but it's it's not what you think. Yeah. So, okay, there, there you go there. Here, here's another thing that people have, I get, I get heard a lot from people who don't believe in, like, uh, people's right to have a firearm. Um, I've heard this. They say, like, well, what are you going to do? You can't fight back against the government because they'll just drone strike you. Um, can the military ever drone strike? Like, do you think could, if shit was bad enough, do you think that we would ever see something like that? Well, first of all, you better go ask the uh, Afghans and the Vietnamese how that worked out for them. Uh, <laughs> turn- <laughs> can fight the shit out of the U.S. government with like uh, bullshit <laughs> rifle and, and win. Uh, do I think it could ever get so bad that we're drone strike? Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I mean, in the United States is a little bit higher of a bar, but I mean, Obama drone struck a U.S. citizen. Well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't on U.S. soil, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that's okay. you know, doing it on U.S. soil is a little bit higher of a bar, but. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I mean, I don't think it would take that much. I mean, even, well, didn't the government like bomb Baltimore or something like that? Was uh, that like was a- like some federal agency. Uh, but if you want to talk about like military specific, two instances I can think of. Uh, one, when that dude went crazy in the 60s, right after the tower in Austin, some other guy went crazy in Louisiana, was shooting people out from the roof of a hotel that basically had a similar type of tower. Uh, they just went over to the Marine Corps base and got a CH-46. And, uh, you know, I can't remember if cops shot him with rifles or if the 60-gunner actually unloaded, but it happened. Then uh, fast forward into the 90s, uh, man, it was like 97, 98. Remember somebody stole a tank in, in L.A. and was driving down the, down the freeway? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this was, this was like run over buildings and stuff. Well, it ended up that uh, the cops got to him first and popped the hatch and shot him. But an unwell-known fact is that had to be stopped. So, like, two more miles down the road, they had actually got some uh, Marines, I think, from San Diego or from uh, Camp uh, Pendleton with uh, anti-tank missiles, toes, and, like, set them up in the middle of the freeway. And they were going to, like, blow that, that tank up. It's like, what else are you going to do? Like, yeah. Like, what are you going to do? So, it's- yeah, the concept of drone striking people on U.S. soil is not that far of a, of a reach. Um, that was not the answer I was hoping you were going to give me. I'll be honest. <laughs> Sorry. That, uh, but no, that, that's, um, I think it's, it's a logical answer. I think um, 
you know, I'm in my 20s, so I obviously don't remember that tank thing. I think what's sad is that probably people my age only know that from like all of the memes people have made where they're like, when you get a new code in GTA and then it's like that picture of the dude in the tank or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, but <laughs> so, so um, let's, uh, so right now we got uh, Russia about to, uh, th- you know, they're threatening to invade Ukraine, right? Two questions here. Should we be worried about that? And what is China and Russia's relationship? Because I don't understand it. You make a comment about it in the book, um, but I think mo- probably most civilians like me don't, don't understand what the hell do Russia and China think about each other? Okay. For the, uh, for the Ukraine one. All right. I got a really hard time with this one. Just like there's people freaking out all over Twitter, like, uh, like go get bread and milk. Cause like Russia's going to do it. And like, everything's going to be explode and be bad. I, I just don't see it. Like I don't see it reaching out of that region is what I should say. Like, I don't know if Russia's going to jump or not. They, they're making a lot of moves, but uh, one of the things we like to say about the Russians is that uh, the Russians play, or we play checkers and the Russians play chess. Like they think in strategic depth, but they, they have brought in a lot of the right stuff. It really looks like they might go for it this time. Wow. I just, I just don't see that being a big deal. Like, uh, I mean, we fomented the, uh, the uh, basically overthrow of, of Ukraine's last government and, and got a pro-Western government in there or a pro-U.S. government, I, I just, I'm really not that mad about it if Russia invades Ukraine. Like, and as long as we don't step in like idiots, like, I don't really see how it changes our relationship. Uh, yeah. Number two, with that, if we could get them to go ahead and, and sweep through Ukraine and go into Western Europe, that would be fantastic. Like, I would... That would be awesome. Like, like let's get, you know, these uh, these people in Germany and England that are not obviously friends of freedom out of the way. I, I would support that fully. Uh, <laughs> That's a hot take. Leave leave Hungary, Romania, and Poland alone. I like those guys, but Germany, France, like, please, by all means, do so. Uh, which is probably not the answer that most people want me to say. <laughs> all right, no, that- moving on. <laughs> go ahead now i'm moving on to china and russia's relationship now this one's also a, a little bit of a a reach for me because I, I was not an area expert on russia or china uh you know i was focused on the middle east for most of my my career but you know i can also look at what's happened now a little bit with my, my brain and see what's going on uh Russia and China, while traditionally adversaries, which is not uncommon for you know powers like that that, that share some border space, uh, they really look like they're working together like a lot right now. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're they're big on uh, working this currency issue. Uh, Russia is selling a a ton of natural gas to China. Uh, I assure you that trade goes both ways, and I, I think they may very well be in that spot where while they we'll maintain a somewhat adversarial relationship, especially behind closed doors. Like Russia doesn't want to see China succeed too much and vice versa. They're definitely in that position where they will work together to some degree to, uh, to thwart us in general. Uh, So, I mean, one of the smartest things they could do right now from a strategic perspective is hit uh, Ukraine and Taiwan at the same time. I mean, what are we going to open up a two front war? over stuff that's really not our concern in the first place. Do you think that they're having those thoughts? Do you think that that's a, a thought going through China right now? Like, well, if they jump, we might as well too. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if, uh, 
it's even better from the Chinese perspective if we do get if Ukraine does happen and we decide for some reason that we got to step in it and get kind of bogged down. Uh, yeah, that's a golden opportunity. I mean, they'd be crazy not to take that. That's a good point. The, the, the weird thing is, though, too, is that although Biden's administration doesn't seem like he would do anything, um, when you look back at wars, I think I'm right on this, that like almost all the wars in the past 60 years, uh, even going back to World War II, are almost all under uh, Democrat uh, presidents, I think, except for uh, the Bush's okay. Middle, Middle <laughs> Eastern thing. But besides that, I think I'm right on that. Um, so, heck, you never know. <laughs> you know, you never know. But it, it doesn't seem like Biden's going to do anything, you know, if, if they were to do that. So I, I guess we'll see. It's, it's so, a, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, it's a, it's a weird thing to try and read. Like, I mean, that's a lot of political capital that he doesn't have to, uh, to commit us to a war like that, as well as like, you know, again, I've been retired for a long time, so I don't have like the classified intel or any bullshit like that. But uh, yeah. with the forces we have available, like, I don't know what we really would do. Like, I, I don't I don't see it. I don't see us being able to repel Russia out of Ukraine or China out of Taiwan with what we've got in the region right now. Yeah. Well, not only the region, but I I, I think we've had a lot of people leave the military, if if I'm understanding it right. I guess I don't know exactly what, but geez, if you just I'm sure I'm sure just based off of how many people do we even have active, I'm not I'm not sure. Um yeah. So also, I don't pay attention to anything that North Korea says or does. Is that reasonable or should I be more worried about it? anytime he threatens us? I don't give a shit. I mean, honestly, I just don't care. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm 40 years old. This has been going on. This has been going on since like the Soviet Union fell. Like, I don't either. Like, I just don't even give a shit anymore. Like, he shot a missile, you know, into Tokyo. Like, OK, now maybe you have my attention. But he shot a missile over Tokyo. Like, whatever. Don't care. Like, yeah. Don't care. Yeah. When I realized that Russia's like GDP was like the same as Italy's and then you compare how big Russia is to Italy, it's like, I don't even, I, I think Russia's got some outdated nukes and uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think that, I think that we should take Russia seriously, but I also think that people get a little bit too worked up about Russia. I think that China is the far bigger threat. That is something that does freak me out. I think, um, I think that China alone, some of the stuff we're hearing from Mexico and, and their fentanyl stuff, they've already waged chemical war on us. That was one thing I wanted to ask you. Do you think that China would ever do something as overt as like putting fentanyl in like products to just kill random people, like, I don't know, food or something? Like, do you think that they would ever do something that overt or, or no? Yeah, man, I think they already tried it with dog food like 10 years ago. Are you serious? Yeah, uh, man, it was, was it 10 or 20 years ago? It's been a while. But uh, yeah, all these dogs were dying of uh, just like, you know, weird, like shit. And basically it all got traced back to like, okay, this batch of Chinese dog food, this batch of Chinese dog treats. Um, you could very well call that a test run, man. Like, yeah, I mean, they would, they would need one or two things. They would either need good enough plausible, plausible deniability that it didn't look overt, or they would have to do it in big enough numbers to like actually like do some damage as a precursor to something like a, like another kind of strike. Uh, I yeah. mean, otherwise, I mean, we'd make a pay for it, but yeah, I mean, it's not off the table. 
So, okay. Um, let, let's kind of talk about, um, if, if you're good to keep going here, I was going to, I was going to move on to, you know, what people should do right now. Are you good with that? Yeah, absolutely, man. All right. So, you know, what are the steps people should take now again in, in, in prairie fire, fire and uh, concrete jungle, you do go into this about what we can do. And I think, um, you know, we just, we just painted a whole, we went into some pretty dark places just now. Right. Right. Um, before we actually go farther with that, I'll say this, do you have anything, what, what would be one reason of why you would say we should be optimistic that none of this would, would happen? Could you come up with like one reason why everything's going to be okay? Oh yeah, man. Cause I mean, life survives, life goes on. Uh, you know, even if like, like I, I was a little bit doom and gloom in the books. I, w- I will definitely grant that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's multiple paths out of this, maybe not for like the nation as a whole, but multiple paths out of this where like, there's a, a happy ending for you or me um, or, you know, like a large percentage of the country. Um, yeah. I mean, th- things don't always have to end badly. In fact, I, I would say one of the things that makes me the most optimistic is like, let's take the, the worst conspiracy crazy that there is on this. Like it's a, it's a globalist play to like take over and like basically lock us all in a super prison of, of social credit scores and all this other bullshit, which is possible. Um, yeah. Well, in order to do that, they have to completely like TF the, uh, the way we live right now. Basically they need to control demolition of the dollar in our society. Well, anytime that you start those kind of crazy, like, mass movements, the possibilities are endless for you screwing up. Uh, You think it's going to go, like, this way, but the minute you introduce that much chaos, uh, it's very easy to have it reversed on you and uh, and your ideology is, like, completely swept away by something from out of left field you didn't see coming. So, I mean, that's where a lot of my optimism comes from, like... I think that if, if what's going on right now is a, a, a globalist power grab, I think there's a distinct possibility they've overplayed their hand like big time. Yeah. Uh, and that the, uh, the pushback on that will be, you know, epic. Yeah. I, he, here's my reasons. I think why I think number one, people are really happy and content and lazy and that through technology, we've been able to, we've been able to be distracted at all times which means that maybe the kids that are kids now and, and you know, my, my kids' age, they're going to kind of see how people are acting and learn from it. And then they're going to grow up and then they're going to find a way to resolve things uh, in ways that um, are more civil. You know, they, they may not want to be like our parents, just as if every generation, you know, wants to do things better and different than the one before them. So there's some reason right there to, to be optimistic. With that being said, uh, all the steps in your book, I think people should still do, you know, it starts number one with yourself. You know, you should, you should work out and you should train. You can't be weak and you yeah. can't be a fat boy, right? That's everybody should be doing that regardless. Well, and look, man, you don't have to be a Calvin Klein model or an Olympic sprinter either, but like, you know, do a little bit, just like just a little bit, get a little bit stronger and a, a yeah. little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's funny. I was actually talking to a dude about this yesterday, like almost the exact same conversation. He's like, <laughs> follow the steps of prayer for he's like the worst thing that happens to you is like 20 years from now i was totally wrong was totally screwed up he's like you mean that you made me get in better shape and like know my neighbors more and like learn how to be self-sufficient like why would you do that like that's that's the the community-based premise man like yes 
and again, that's that's like the heart of, of what I want people to take from this. You you have to be able to influence where you're standing right now. Like social media friends don't matter when the power goes out. They don't matter at all. Uh, they can't help you. Uh, yeah. I mean, even these, you know, shut down traffic between states for some crazy reason, you know, some viral thing. Like at that point, like you and my relationship, like can't help you, dude. Like yeah. unless you can get here, get there. Okay. What does matter, <laughs> which is very possible for us. <laughs> what does matter is like my twenty neighbors that live in this you know, little section of uh, my neighborhood, and what we can do. And, you know, do we know uh, a place uh, with a, you know, there's a farmer, this guy like some cows and, you know, some, some stuff like, okay, do we have enough skills that we can bring to him? Like, we'll help you do your stuff. Now that we live in this different world, uh, we've got some medical skills and some, I don't know, tractor repairs, all of this stuff. So yeah, at the end of the day, all of, everything that I preach is, is the way forward. All it does is make you better within your own community and a, and a better human being. And if, if I'm totally wrong, you've lost nothing. Is that, yeah. I mean, one of the big things that I like to say is like, you can't buy your way out of this problem. Uh, you know, a lot of times with the, uh, like the prepper movement, it becomes like, okay, man, like you got to have like a bazillion guns and bullets and, you know, all this whiz bang, cool guy, you know, generators, and all this stuff. No, dude, like, no skills and community matter infinitely more than that. And a lot of, you know, community will solve a lot of those problems. Like I live in a town of like 3000 people and we happen to have our own power plant. Do I need a generator and some gas or do I need to know the guy that runs the power plant and make sure he's got spare parts to keep the power? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's a lot different animals. It's a much different look at things. And uh, I think that's the direction people need to understand that this has to go. Yeah, I think that, um, I don't know, man. I, I felt this this really deep connection, you know, with, with my community. It's why I ran for city council when I was 19. Um, you know, I think, I, I know that there's like a lot of stigma of like the, the loser that like never leaves uh, his hometown. But I've always just felt, like even if all my wildest dreams become true and I was a multimillionaire, I just always imagined myself here. Um, yep. And I was going out today and I was helping somebody where I was having to kind of go around my town and I'm, I'm going and I'm dropping stuff off and I'm looking around and I'm like, man, every, every place I've been to today, I have a story or, or this somehow, you know, I, I was here in this, my childhood and I know these people and, you know, I live in a town of like 26,000 people, you know, but it's like, um, yeah. I know so many people and it's like, how does a guy like me get elected to when he's 22 years old? Cause I'm interested in people and I, and I want to know the people around me and I want to know the most interesting thing about, about people. And, and, um, right. I like to set people up, you know, it's like, I, I wanted to connect you and Tucker Max when I found out that, you know, you both kind of knew were familiar. With I love that kind of thing, you know? And I think that it's the same thing with this book and, and, and Tucker has been saying it too, that it's not going to be safe places. It's going to be safe people. What that means is, is you're not, you're not going to, you know, live in, in a underground bunker and be yeah. okay, regardless of what happens, you know, how you're going to be okay is you're going to have strong relationships with safe people and you're going to be able to help each other. That's, that's the only way out of, yeah. out of whatever comes next, good or bad, you know? 100%, so, man. Yeah. And, and uh, 
so, so you go into that, then you kind of, you talk a lot about there's, there's a personal responsibility that you have to take. Right. So, so again, working out training, but basically knowing how to defend yourself. Um, right. Uh, you talk about Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You know, I grew up doing mixed martial arts. We both know doing it. There's a lot of phony stuff out there that's going to get, you know, could potentially get your ass kicked or get killed depending on what you walk into. Um, so it's good to train with people who are legit. I think if you, if you're, if you're at a gym where people are, you know, fighting, uh, you know, on the amateur level or professional, that is probably a decent gym. Cause at least you'll know that, you know, these guys are putting their money where their mouth is. Uh, so, so that's something I don't know if you have anything you want to add on to that. Well, you know, that was actually, I felt like that was a very important thing. Cause I mean, one of the problems that we have right now as a society is we've, for the most part, like outsourced our violence, uh, whether that means like, like Ellie response and, uh, you know, basically it's come to the point where you know, like you could be a grown man now. And I actually had a dude, uh, under me in the special forces course. And uh, we were getting ready to go to this, like, uh, after school, if you will, like hand to hand combat course. And, uh, you know, this dude is like three months away from getting his, his hat and his tab. And, uh, so we were ready to go to the thing. Cause I'm like their squad leader. And he's like, Hey, you know, uh, Sergeant, uh, I've never been hit in the face before. And I was like, <laughs> and I, you know, he was an only child and I grew up in like some soft place, but it was hard enough to like do the stuff and get to this point. And, uh, I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, man. Like really, he's like, I'm really nervous about it. So like, what the hell? And, and you know, he was fine. Cause I didn't hit him that hard. And I'm like, Hey dude, you see that hurts, but you, you're good. And uh, he went on and we did this like brutal hand to hand combat thing. And uh, it was great for him. It was, he got more out of it than, any one of the other of us did just because it was so like new. Yeah. It was amazing. But, uh, but that was one of the reasons I had to put that part in the book is, uh, I've also seen over, over my life so many times where, man, it sucks to say this, but you could go learn some stuff for like 20 years, like breaking pineapple into it's completely useless. The first time you get in a fight. Yeah. And I mean, you've just done this incredible waste of time. And, uh, you know, I actually got called on it uh, after I put that book out by a couple of dudes that were like, uh, and, and I, I will grant their exceptions. Uh, one dude called me that trained at like a super hardcore uh, Krav Maga place in L.A. that yeah. was actually like staffed by like Israeli military dudes. And, uh, you know, I was like, hey, bro, I, I get it. Like, I, you know, I did, it, I did shit talk Krav Maga in the book. But I also said I trained with the uh, the Grom that did Krav Maga, and they were awesome. Like they were just, they, I wouldn't want to fist fight those guys ever. So yeah. there are exceptions, but for the most part, man, it's got to be you know MMA, boxing, kickboxing, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, something where you're actually like fighting other people for it to have value. Yeah, I I did. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, man, I did ninjutsu for a bit because um, that's kind of what the guys that started my my gym were all about in like the 70s and um you know it always annoys me when people can't just uh they have to split hairs about something because it's like of course not your krav maga gym is bad you know what i mean but but also you know be able to admit that there's a lot of turds out there same thing with ninjutsu ninjutsu did not get a good rap with ufc because i think the only ninjutsu guy got his ass kicked in like 10 seconds literally like right away but like the gym that i went to it was awesome. And we did do, we did some hand to hand stuff. They would have, they would literally turn the lights off and ha- have us free spar in the dark. 
That's awesome. uh, which was crazy. But it was like you just said, it was awesome because you learn. I got to I got to get on this guy right away. And you know what? If you're ever in a fight or, or you get jumped, it's probably going to be at night, you know? Yeah. So just like with shooting, you can't always train with the lights right. on, you know, try it in right. the dark sometimes. Yeah, no, yeah. dude, absolutely, man. And, uh, you know, the, the same thing I said about like uh, hand to hand, it goes across the board for all this stuff. Like you could, you could shoot for 20 years. And if you've never like really been trained how to shoot and you just like stood and shot at a bullseye, you, you still, you're, you're incompetent for the most part. Yeah. Uh, you do not know how to fight with a gun. Uh, so, yeah, that was really the emphasis there was like, you've got to get good training that's like relevant. And uh, if your training is always comfortable, like it's probably not very good. Yeah. I, I want to, uh, I wanted to try to avoid talking about guns with you. Cause I know that, that that's a rabbit hole that you can go so deep on. <laughs> and so I'm actually going to, uh, I'll link some of your stuff there for people to check out, but you know, if I'm a guy who doesn't have any connections and I'm listening to us talk, I'm thinking like, well, that sounds cool. But like, what do I do with guns? Because with guns, the thing that's dangerous there is that you can get linked up with a guy that seems to know what he's doing, who doesn't. You can be linked up with a guy that's been in the military. Doesn't mean that he's great with guns. I hear stuff like I had a friend tell me that she, she said, um, I don't shoot hollow points. I'm like, why, why don't you shoot hollow points for a concealed carry? I'm like, why wouldn't you do that? Well, a cop told me not to do it. Like, what, what are you taught? Like, why is a cop telling you not to carry hollow points? Cause do cops have to carry FMJs? Is that, is that what the rules are for police? No. See, no. I'm, I cannot wrap my head around that, but you hear cool yeah. stuff like that all the, the time. Only, the only place I know where it's actually legal to own a hollow point is New Jersey, where it's, uh, I believe one year per bullet uh, to have one. Like, okay. Like, I used to drive through New Jersey and stop and like check the truck. Like, but yeah, other than that, no, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, yeah, no, that's completely ridiculous. But I mean, that's, that's the point too is like, it is kind of hard to vet these things because if you don't know anything, like, you can see some whiz bang stuff that looks awesome and it's total bullshit. And that applies yeah. to driving, fighting, shoot, any of that shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there's a lot of bad information out there. It's, it's unfortunate, but it's true. It, th this is what I would say. If I was talking to a guy who knows nothing and all he has are indoor ranges, I would say, man, try to find somebody who's got an outdoor range or some land, go there at night. This is what I guess I would try to do. If, if I didn't know anything was, was first of all, you got to get your stance down and, and all of that, which is a whole other thing in and of itself, because again, you can learn some bad fundamentals, but if you can get some, some good fundamentals down as far as training goes, you know, try different things. Like I would say, do some jogs, get a little bit out of breath before you shoot and see how you do, you know, when you're panting a little bit and you've had some stress, shoot at night, shoot with the only light being, you know, your, your car light, try to mix it up like that. W what else would you do to, for, for somebody to try to incorporate Man, especially, especially if you don't know anything about shooting, uh, go get an airsoft gun. Yeah, there you go. Like, uh, I can't remember if I put it in concrete jungle or prairie, file, prairie fire, but uh, did you know the story about the dude from Japan that had never fired a real gun before? Uh, he'd only shot airsoft because you can't have handguns in Japan. Uh -huh. uh, came over in like 2008, maybe, and trained for a month and then won the Steel Challenge. Uh, the Steel Jeez. Challenge. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm serious. A heart attack. It's it's referenced in one of the books. I forget the guy's name, uh, but he did it. He beat uh, Casey Estibio 
uh, for the Steel Challenge. Steel Challenge is a huge speed shooting event uh, that's been going on since the same since like 1975. Uh, a, a stupid airsoft gun, and as much as like tackle guys shit on airsofters, like that's a valid training tool as long as you take it seriously and and you know realize the limitations of it. It has no recoil, so you got to kind of you know factor that in. But uh, yeah, man, it's a fantastic training tool and one that's underutilized, in my opinion. Yeah, I think all this stuff is what's great about martial arts is that, and I've taken the same approach to everything pretty much in my life, which is you learn how to do something dangerous in a safe environment. Right. And so it's, it's the same thing with, with this, if you want to do, first of all, if you want to do things that are, if you want to know how you're going to react in a stressful situation, join a fire department because you're probably not going to get thrown into something uh, and volunteer fire department, obviously, you know, join, find a a volunteer fire department. I learned how I, I personally learned how I would react next to a dead body by spending a half hour in a car with a dead body trying to get somebody else out. You know what I mean? Now I know that, okay, I know that, you know, if somebody's bones sticking out of them, I'm going to be level-headed enough to, to be able to, to help them. So, so there you go. Um, it's, it's the same thing with, with uh, like paintball. You know what I mean? You could do paintball and, and uh, uh, Dave Grossman, the author of On Killing, talks about this, you know. Do something like paintball or airsoft, something that, you know, you, you learn how to shoot and move and whatever. It also, I think, kind of gets the, the play part of your brain active, which is great for adults yeah. to do, I think. Yeah, great you for know. training, too. Yeah, yeah. L- learn tactics there. That's what I want to do. I've, I, I want to get, like, all, all my friends and stuff. I want to do some, some paintball stuff. I th- I've never done it. I think it'll be, you know, I'll a lot of fun. Like yeah, I, I think that that's, that's a good one, too. It's, it's kind of like um, – even with how I'm going to raise my kids, you know, it's like, I want to, I want to homeschool my kids, um, but I don't want to shelter them. You know, I have Christian beliefs and, and it's like, I think where a lot of Christian parents go wrong is they never tell their kids why people are atheists when there are some really good cases to be made for atheism. So when I'm raising my kids up, I want them to read, you know, Dawkins and, and the top atheists around. So that way we can talk about it as a family. You know what I mean? You can't just right. send them out in the world unsure of how they're going to, how they're going to react. So again, I, I think um, you, you put yourself in some stressful situations and, uh, and see how you react. And, and you're probably not always going to react the way you want to. Um, this, I was thinking about this, this past year, this guy sped by my house where all these kids were playing outside and I was going to yeah. yell at him and say, Hey, slow down. And I did not because I, I, and I let him drive by and I realized I didn't say anything cause I was afraid. Because if that guy wanted to fight, I wasn't ready for it. And, I, and then I, I thought about, why am I not ready? I haven't been working out. Okay, there's one. I haven't been in martial arts for a minute. There's two. So potentially, you know, this guy's going to drive down the street and could hurt a kid. And I didn't say anything because I was afraid. You know, so I don't like to live in fear. You no. know, David, David uh, Balava in his book, the, this guy won Medal of Honor. In, in the thing that he actually won it for, for that house, he talks about it in the book. He first left the house where there was these insurgents because he was afraid. And then he said he had other experiences in his life where he, he had given in a failure. And he said, I'm not going to do it again. And he went back into this house and he, and he killed all these insurgents, right? So even, even a Medal of Honor winner, everybody wrestles with fear. Um, I oh, think dude. that, yeah. 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 Are- Talk about that for a minute because I'm sure you got a lot you'd like to say. Fear is a huge thing. Uh, and, you know, I, I've met, like, in my life, like, probably one or two dudes that were, like, actually, like, legitimately fearless. Uh, they do exist. 
I'm, I'm not fucking one of them. Uh, and that's out of, you know, knowing thousands of, of fucking war heroes. Yeah. So, so yeah, man, it is something you got to struggle with. And there's even a lot of like fear of ego that keeps people from even getting started in training. That's a huge issue. Like, yeah. You know, being afraid of like, you know, going back to the gym or being afraid of having to tell another man like, hey, look, uh, you know, I'm just I've never owned this gun. This thing is supposed to be a manly skill. And now I, I want I want to buy one and like learn how to use it. But I'm acknowledging that I don't know anything. Yeah. The fear that goes along with that. And there's also, uh, you know, fear of the unknown of just even like like doing something like a shooting a gun going to be scary. Like, I, I mean these are very real fears for people that have never like done it. And uh, yeah, but the other nice thing about, about all this training stuff is it's, that's where you start your first immunization to fear is like taking the first step, taking the, like, I am going to go do this. Uh, That's, that's part of how you get over fear and you like take a little slice of it at a time and, and get over it. Yeah. Oh, dude, ego kills so much. That's my dad always told me growing up, you know, never be afraid of failure. And um, that's something that I try to I try to live by every day. And I think, you know, if, if you're afraid to to go to go to, uh, you, you know, a class or whatever, uh, because yeah. you're afraid that you're, you're going to look stupid or whatever. Nobody cares about you. Right. Uh, nobody cares about you that much to, to give it a second thought. So we'll right. play. Um, well, let's go ahead and, uh, and, and wrap this up here. Um, I'm putting all your books, books on, uh, on, on the website at bookbrewing.com. People will be able to, to check that out. Um, do you got any, any final thoughts that, uh, that you'd like to say? Man, we've covered some, we've covered some holes. In this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I would, you know, I, I, I really like, I feel like closing out with the, like the, the fear thing is a really good one. Like you, you just have to do it. Like, and you can start small. You can start with a tiny thing. I mean, you can start with, you know, your, your father-in-law teaching you how to shoot a gun, or you can start with get one of your buddies that you also know is scared and, and just go get some boxing gloves and like hit each other. once, put a mouth guard and hit each other once yeah. or twice. Like if, if you have to take like tiny, tiny baby steps to get over your fear, do it. Yeah. You know, you don't have to jump in the, the cage with Chuck Liddell on night one but you've got to start making those positive steps to making yourself better, man. You just got to do it. It's got to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you have a whole list of books that you reference other people check out um, after they finish yours in your book. I'll put all those on the website as well, but Clay, I, I really appreciate uh, you coming on here and talking about some, some high level stuff, but it, I've, I had fun with it. So thank you, man. Awesome. I did too, brother. I appreciate it, man. All right. Well, again, Clay, thank you for coming on. And I mean this when I say that I easily could sit down and have an interview with Clay for five hours minimum. No kidding there. We could go so in-depth about so many different things. So, um, Clay, thank you for for coming on. Um, Check out his website, claymartindefense.com. Link will be in the description. Um, If you want to have uh, what I think is some of the best threads on Twitter, go to at WayOffTheRes. That's Res with R-E-S. Or just click on the link in the descriptions there. Um, As we mentioned, uh, thank you hugely huge shout out to tucker max um kind of an unlikely source for me to be introduced to clay but um again thank you tucker for um 
pointing me towards clay. Um, in that sense, every book, again, that we reference will, of course, be on bookbrilliant.com. Check it out. And I hope you have a good day. Thank you.